listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast. I'm your host, Gabe Howard, and I want to thank our sponsor, BetterHelp. You can get a week free by visiting betterhelp.com slash psychcentral. Calling into the show today, we have Ronald Brownstein. Mr. Brownstein is the music director of Me Too and a graduate of Juilliard. He has conducted the San Francisco Symphony, Berlin Philharmonic, and the Oslo Philharmonic, just to name a few. Mr. Brownstein was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 1985. He launched Me Too because of his desire to support others who struggle to maintain good mental health. Mr. Brownstein, welcome to the show. Thank you. You have conducted major orchestras all around the world, and you were on a trajectory to being a lead conductor when you disclosed your diagnosis of bipolar disorder, and then you were shunned by the classical music community. Was this the experience that caused you to start Me Too? Well, it wasn't like I I decided to start Me Too. I got basically fired from a job because of my mental illness. I knew that I would never get a conducting job again. Um, but it wasn't like a, a decision. It's just I felt that I'd run out of options. Uh, so I had to create a new option, which was to make my own orchestra made of people like me. And it, I guess it was not as though there was a formal launch. We just set out a press release and we waited to see if anyone sh- would show up and a few people did. People were, were frankly sitting on on cold uh, folding chairs in an all-purpose community space. At the beginning, we didn't really know what we were doing, uh, and no one knew what would happen. Um, so, anyways, long and short, I sat everyone down on the floor, and we talked about my parameters. Was just simply that I wanted to make an orchestra that was stigma-free, a context in which we would, could be ourselves and not have to hide our illness. So um, it kind of started like that. And that, like, for a couple of weeks, we just talked. We didn't play. I guess a certain type of trust developed amongst us as, you know, we told our stories and we basically started to feel safe as a colonel. Uh, and then we started to play. I think two or three weeks later, it was like, okay, it's time for Beethoven. We actually have an orchestra. It was not that great. But every day, it got a little bit better. Slowly but surely, person by person came, and they knew that this was a safe place for them to be, to be themselves, and don't have to hide anything anymore. That was a safe place to be and to play music together. I love that. How did you come up with the name Me Too, and what does it mean to the greater community and to you? The truth of the matter is, I was living in Prague, and I saw a great disparity between the private schools and the public schools. I wanted to to create an orchestra there that was called Me Too, meaning it would bring together those two groups, because they all felt, you love music? Well, Me Too. So (laughs) the thing originated there kind of in a completely different arena. So I guess I, I stole my own name um, 
So I said, why don't we name it Me Too? Because it will mean, do you have a mental illness? Me Too. The names actually superseded the uh, women's movement by about 10 years. <laughs> the name, as it turned out, people um, come to us thinking that we're Me Too, the organization. And the next thing you know, we're telling them that we're not Me Too, the women's movement, we're actually Me Too, an orchestra for people with mental illness. So we heard quite a lot of you know people looking for the women's movement. We got into real conversations about mental illness with about a quarter of them. And um, <laughs> they, we've kept in touch with them. So it's best to keep your identity and then find, um, I guess, intersections with people. It sounds like the Me Too Orchestra is connecting with people who you didn't intend to connect with. That's actually true. Um, it goes like this. I often get on the phone with someone from tech support with whatever company, Apple or Samsung or whatever. And since I'm such a total dunce when it comes from anything technology-based, I find myself on the phone a lot trying to figure out which button to talk, uh, push. Um, and I always start the call with, they want to know your email address. And they always say, it's Ronald at Me Too Orchestra. And invariably, they say, oh, um, is that connected to the Me Too movement? And I say, no, no, it's not. It's actually we're an orchestra for people living with mental illness. Pause. Okay. Um, well, let's let's work with your problem. And then we're just kind of ending up the call when there's another space. Pause. Then this little voice um, on the other end, uh, end of the line with a totally different voice than her telephone voice, she says to me, that's very interesting. I have a cousin with mental illness. And um, actually, to tell you the truth, I also suffer from clinical depression, and I have my whole life. So when you say, me too, I really understand what you're talking about, because often people have to hide their mental illness. But when someone hears me too, it rings a bell. Someone's talking about mental illness, me too. Obviously, in order to have an orchestra, you need musicians. Who are you looking for to be in the Me Too Orchestra? Well, we're actually not looking for anyone. We've never done recruitment. People, they find out about us. They go on the internet, and then they find us. They'll go to a rehearsal or two and see if it's for them. Some of them, it's not for them. But most of them, it rings a bell, and they stay with us. But as far as what kinds of people, I'd say that it's composed of people from all walks of life, people with all levels of playing and ages, uh, and there's a, a lot of mentorship between the players and the less experienced ones. What they all experience is the healing power of music. 
Has creating the Me Too Orchestra made you more comfortable talking about your own mental health issues? Um, hmm. Initially, I didn't really feel uncomfortable about having a diagnosis. I just felt like it was a piece of paper that was in a book. It oddly described me very well, but I didn't take it that seriously and I didn't feel uncomfortable about it. I was very open about it and I told people because I never thought in my million years that anyone would ever hold it against me. Then I started to feel that people were not straight with me and were not treating me right. And at first I thought it was all kind of coincidental or um, uh, what's the word? Well, let's just say coincidental. I thought it was had to do with the circumstance, but something would happen and it was weird. And I knew that it was not positive, a positive vibe that I was getting from them. And after several years, I, I started to see that people were having a preconception of me. And then I started to realize that there was you know, stigma accumulating over those years and was actually following me around everywhere I went. I felt um, at that point, I felt like shame and um, I felt isolated and alone. So by creating the orchestra, I really created a stigma-free zone where I could be myself and all of the members in the orchestra could be themselves. They don't have to play like the Berlin Philharmonic because we're not trying to become the greatest orchestra. We're just trying to be a community. This is all leading up to the fact that last year, um, for the first time in 10 years, I became had a horrible depression. You know, I got up in the morning, couldn't get to the shower and all of those those things, couldn't drag myself out of bed. But on Thursdays, I had to um, pull myself together and go, just force myself to go, even though I didn't know if I could get through it. So I got up on the podium and I just felt so, so badly. And actually, at the beginning of a rehearsal, they always we always tune and um, then there's quiet. Instead of telling them what movement we were going to start, I stepped off to the podium and I went to the middle of the room and I said to them, I'm in a serious depression. Can you help me get through this? And they were completely there for me. I felt such uh, love and, and support. Not only did it get, through, get me through the rehearsal, but it was actually a pretty darn good one. It was just wonderful um, to know that I had many um, dear friends who were there you know, supporting me too. We'll be right back after we hear from our sponsors. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? I know managing my mental health and a busy recording schedule seemed impossible until I found BetterHelp Online Therapy. They can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in under 48 hours. Just visit betterhelp.com slash psychcentral to save 10% and get a week free. That's betterhelp.com slash psychcentral. Join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. 
Hey everyone, my name is Rachel Star Withers and I live with schizophrenia. I'm also the host of Inside Schizophrenia, a podcast that dives deep into all things schizophrenia, featuring personal experiences and experts to help you better understand and navigate schizophrenia. Inside Schizophrenia is a Psych Central and Healthline Media podcast, and we're available right now on your favorite podcast player. Check us out. We're back discussing the documentary Orchestrating Change with the music director of Me Too, Ronald Brownstein. We've talked a lot about how the Me Too Orchestra has helped you. How does it help the musicians? Well, I can't say enough how it's changed them gives people an identity. People that didn't really, um, they might have a job or they might not have a job. They might be on disability or they might be a drug addict or whatever. They don't have something that they feel was identity that they were proud of. Um, Someone says, so what are you doing these days? Uh, And they say, well, I play piccolo in the Me Too Orchestra. And that gave them a feeling of self-worth and increasing confidence. It was indescribable. Self-esteem, self-worth, confidence. And the main thing is identity. And I, yeah, identity. You've conducted major symphony orchestras like the Berlin Philharmonic and the San Francisco Symphony, but you've said repeatedly that conducting the Me Too Orchestra is so much more fulfilling. Why? Well, when I said more fulfilling, um, the more part really is not accurate because conducting major European and American orchestras and comparing that to the Me Too is just like you're comparing two totally different things. So, like, for example, you know, I loved conducting the world-class orchestras because they were so incredible and so responsive and so close to um, perfection. But for Me Too, we're not trying to make the best orchestra. We're just trying to, um, to create community to play their best. So I, I use, it's the same, actually, I conduct the same way I do any orchestra. I use all the means at my disposal, meaning like I show them with my hands, I sing to them, I talk to them, I use the velvet glove, I use everything to try to get them to feel comfortable and play their best. But it's not like I'm conducting a mental health orchestra. It's a completely different um, way of, of supporting a group rather than motivating them. And that's a big difference. In other words, I don't have to, um, you know, with normal orchestras, you always have to program like balance between classical, traditional pieces and contemporary pieces. I don't have to do that. I don't have to rely on ticket sales. I just program for the orchestra. I can treat this orchestra in the way that that they really enjoy the experience. I don't have to be the outdated, you know, authoritarian European conductor. I can be more than that. They know me as a conductor, but I can also be their true friend and um, their confidant or their mentor or anything, my their bowling partner, or because we're not trying to create perfection. We're 
just trying to be a community. So if you want to know why that's more fulfilling, I guess to sum it up, I would say that my experience um, with the closeness that I have with the orchestra and to know that they're all doing their best, it gives my life meaning. I absolutely love that. Now, you have a new documentary about the Me Too Orchestra, Orchestrating Change. Why were you and your musicians willing to open up yourselves to a documentary film crew? What's the goal for the Me Too Orchestra? The goal is is um, being yourself and being open to be visible and to be, what, are, what do they call it, advocates about mental illness. But the main thing is to be yourself and to have no qualms about um, being public because basically if you're in Me Too Orchestra, it's totally public already that you're in a mental health orchestra. I mean, to give you an example, there was one woman, um, actually she was one of the original women that were at the first meeting, but she was job hunting. We were in a small town and she didn't want to have anyone know that she was in a mental health orchestra. We respected that. But over time, over the months, and over the years, she's now um, a prominent member of NAMI. She f- couldn't have made a bigger change from being a little mouse in the corner hiding to being an advocate for mental health. That's the power of it. And that's why being open and not hiding was a big, um, big part of it. What is your biggest hope for the documentary? That documentary was two things and I never thought about it until just now you know they filmed us over three or four years I just have to say they were so excellent they had their camera in my face but after a millisecond they disappeared that's how invisible they were which is the main thing you want to have happen when you're being filmed for you just to be natural but those two created such a great context for um, us to be who we were. Now, as far as what I want that would like the takeaway or what I would expect would be that we have to reach out and communicate with, with each other, meaning people living with mental illness and people without, that there has to be a discussion. What are the long-term goals of the Me Too Orchestra? It's big. Our goal is to have somewhere between 50 and 100 Me Too affiliates across the country. We want to have maybe 10 to 20 full functioning orchestras along with affiliate chamber groups, making a big community and to begin to combine them the way we did in Boston combine this orchestra with this orchestra and do a concert, and then combine three orchestras and do a concert. Then to keep to make sure that the, the vibe is right, um, consistent with the mission, you know, I will have 
summer um, conducting master classes for the conductors to make sure that they align with, with our goals and missions. So then they'll go back to the orchestras. And that's the way we'll keep our identity and our um, focus on creating a large number of orchestras with the same beautiful message. The documentary Orchestrating Change began airing on public television station across the country just this past fall. Now, virtual screenings and DVDs are available at bullfrogfilms.com. And of course, you can learn more from the film's website, orchestratingchangethefilm.com. As the conductor, do you have any last words that you'd like our listeners to know? Yes, we have to have a conversation between people living with mental illness, and people who don't understand them, who end up understanding us, and we realize that we're really all in the same boat. And it could be seen as a model for our whole society to, um, to try for. I could not agree with that more. I think what we need is more conversations and more reasons to learn from one another and understand each other's journeys. I absolutely love the documentary. I love the Me Too Orchestra, and I'm so glad that you could be here with us. Well, I admire your work so much. I really was not aware of it, um, and I feel like I really wish I could. Uh, my first impulse when I saw all your stuff was I don't want to be interviewed by this guy. I want to. I want this guy to be my teacher. I learned so much from from your uh, videos, your many videos, um, and I want to just thank you, thank you for that. Uh, I appreciate that so much. It, it's fascinating because the same thing happened for me when I see the the folks that I'm interviewing, and I'm like, oh, he's he's like a world famous conductor, and I'm like a podcaster. It's the stuff that other people are doing seems so foreign and amazing to us. I mean, I I can't imagine commanding an, a, a world-class orchestra. And, uh, you know, for, for you, you make it look so easy. I know that it's not easy, but it's it's incredible. <laughs> oh. Thank well, you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for the interview. Mr. Brownstein, you are very welcome. And to all of our listeners, thank you for being here. Wherever you downloaded this podcast, please give us a follow. It's absolutely free. And remember, we can't do the show without you. My name is Gabe Howard, and I am the author of Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations, as well as a nationally recognized public speaker. It would be awesome if I could be at your next event. You can grab a signed copy of my book or learn more about me by heading over to GabeHoward.com. Please share us on social media and hey, rate, rank, and review. Write some words to tell other people why they should be listening to Inside Mental Health as well. I'll see everybody next Thursday. You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. 
Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.